The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was relationships, and Ken Adams of Impact Ministries led a track called The Making of a Disciple Making Church. Have you signed up for the next National Disciple Making Forum? Every year, disciple makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at discipleship.org. At checkout, use promo code PODCAST to get 20% off your tickets. In addition to this podcast, you'll find many other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. Now here's today's track session. So I do uh, count it an incredible privilege to to be able to uh, just be part of building God's kingdom uh, serving uh, in the ministry of making disciples at Crossroads Church. Uh, it's, it's really a privilege to, to be in an environment, a church, where disciple making is the hub of really everything we do. And, and to really be underneath a, a lead pastor who beats the disciple making drum louder, stronger, and more consistent than anyone else, and as long as I've known him as faithful as he does. And so it's really a great privilege to be able to do that. Uh, so a couple things that I do uh, at our church is uh, campus pastor at one of the locations, uh, but I'm the small groups pastor over all of our groups. And what we try to really um, drive, teach, lead, influence is, is to have disciple-making small groups. We want all of our small groups being disciple-making small groups. When I stepped into the role, we had, as Ken was saying, I mean, small groups can be all over the map. Uh, we had all kind of different groups. And we just finally said, you know what? We're all small groups. Let's level the playing field. We're all small groups. We're all doing the same thing. We're all driving this mission. We're all, you know. And, and so that's a process uh, because not everybody, some people who have been different kind of groups don't necessarily want to morph into that. Um, and, and But for the most part, we have a great uh, unified vision and approach. And so it's really good uh, to be able to be there and be able to do that. So, uh, how many of you were here yesterday in the two sessions that we did yesterday? Okay, so it looks like over half the room. Um, so what we've talked about, you heard Ken say a little bit about that, is, is the first thing was we were just trying to define our target. If we're going to make making disciples, we have to know, you know, what it is we're trying to make, right? And, and then the next thing we talked about was, um, okay, well, how do we do that? So we're going to make disciples. Uh, what we were saying is that there, we call them M7 disciples at our church, these seven characteristics uh, that, uh, that should be manifested in their life. Um, and so that's our target. So well, you know, how, do, how are we going to go about that? And so we, that's what we talked about when it came to the strategy, how we're going to produce that so- disciple. Now today, we want to talk about the where. Okay, So we know what it is. Uh, we know how we're going to go about it. So where are we going to do that at? And so if you were here yesterday, uh, and it's also in your book, if you looked at uh, session two, there's a picture of, uh, uh, of, of, I don't know, something that kind of looks like a funnel in a sense. And that's the strategy. Reach out, plug in, build up, and send out. Today what we're going to do is we're going to dive into that, 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 that focus and kind of blow up, so to speak, uh, the inside of that strategy. And we're going to focus on the plug in and the build up part of the strategy. And... And that's what we're talking about is when we talk about environments, where this disciple-making takes place. Now, Jesus, he used two primary environments for his disciple-making. He used a large group and he used a small group, right? So in the large group, that's where Jesus was out teaching the masses and, um, you know, doing his miracles, teaching the crowds, so to speak. And uh, from the crowd... He pulled his 12, and, and, and oftentimes he would pull them off to the side and, uh, and teach them separately. Uh, like there's just many different examples where, where Jesus would teach the crowd, say, a parable, and then he would go off with his disciples and he would say, now do you understand what we were just saying? You know, And he'd kind of dive in a little deeper with them. And so he used both environments, but the small group was really the place where the transformation took place in those 12. And so it's very important. Uh, the small group environment is a very important environment uh, for transformation to take place. Now, wouldn't you agree with me that we are shaped by the environments that we put ourselves in? Sure. Okay. So, so for some examples, if you want to 
If you want to be shaped, keyword, uh, physically, what environment do you put yourself in? The gym. The gym, right? Okay, so you're going to go to the gym, you're going to get a trainer maybe, and, and uh, you're going to work out, get some cardio going, get some resistance training going. You're going to have somebody holding you accountable. They're going to be sharing information and stuff with you, right? So you're going to put yourself in the environment of a gym, right? If, if you, say, need to get in shape, um, you know, uh, with maybe some sort of healing or something like that, what kind of environment do you put yourself in? Maybe a hospital, right? Where you're going to get some medicine, you're going to get some doctors and nurses giving you stuff and helping you and so forth. If you want to, if you want to, if you want to change or grow socially, what kind of environment do you put yourself in? Well, lots of different kinds, right? I mean, you put yourself in, I mean, some people put themselves in good environments and some people put themselves in probably not so good environments, you know? So good and bad places socially where you can meet people and, and that sort of thing. If you want to grow and, uh, and expand, if you want to grow in, in, your, in your knowledge, uh, what kind of environment you put yourself in? No, YouTube. You go to YouTube, right? <laughs> No, of course. You go to college. You go, you go to school. You go to college. And so um, we can see, though, we agree, right, that the environment certainly shapes us and, uh, and, 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 and leads us to change and transform. And so with that, uh, on your books right there, you have this, uh, uh, the top there, it says, Jesus created with him environments. And it really comes right out of Mark 3.14. And you see here on the screen, Mark 3.14 says, that he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. And so Jesus used with him environments. And so, you know, there, there's something we're going to point out here. We'll talk about it at the end as well. You see a process in this, in this passage. You see that Jesus called the twelve, and then he, um, he, he was with them, and that... And that he was with them, and that he sent them out. And so I don't know if you can see that or not. But calling, spent time with them, and sent them out. What does Matthew 4.19 say? Matthew 4.19, anybody know what it says? Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. What do you, don't you see that right here? Follow me, I'll make you, with him, fishers of men. I mean, there's a process. And so the idea is that Jesus created with him environments. So I want you to see that from that passage right there. And so when, uh, and, and when we think about with him environments, I mean, why did Jesus use with him environments? It's because of the old adage. You ever heard the old adage? More is, yeah, there you go. More is caught than what is taught. Right. Uh, so with him environments are important for that very reason. I got a, a personal story on that one. So, uh, I, you know, I hadn't really thought about this until one day, well, not too far back in the, in the, the recent past, uh, my son-in-law, who at that time was not my son-in-law, he was dating my daughter, and he was trying to earn po points with the daughter's dad. And so the daughter's dad, I was out in the garage, and I was changing the brakes on her car. And, uh, and so he came out there, and... Uh, to assist me. And the thing you need to understand about this is my son-in-law doesn't know the difference between a flathead screwdriver and a Phillips head screwdriver. Okay? Now he can hit a golf ball like nobody's business, alright? But if mechanical stuff was not his gift. And, uh, and so we were just going through it and I'm getting him dirty, you know, and helping him understand how to do this sort of thing. And, uh, and he just asked me this question. I had never thought about this before. He had asked me this question. He said, he said, man, where did you learn how to do this? I was just kind of stumped. I was like, I don't really know. And then I started thinking about it. I can remember going back into my childhood that my dad, he always changed the oil in the cars. He was always out there. If something was wrong with him, he was always fixing them and stuff like that. As a young guy, I, I didn't know what I was doing. But I remember being under the car with my dad, watching him do those things. And you know what? Apparently, 
some stuff was caught. <laughs> All right. I honestly don't remember my dad ever saying, okay, Mike, here's step one and how to do this and step two and step. I just remember being there and it just maybe kind of took over. I don't know. But uh, so that's just one example of that, that where that's true. And I'm sure that each of us could probably go around and tell stories about things that you caught along the way, even spiritually speaking, that's helped you. And so a be with environment is where more is caught than taught. Now, even though you're in a be with environment and even though that in that be with environment, you can experience catching things, doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's all going to happen by happenstance, okay? All right? So it does require intentionality in the be with environment. And so here's what we would say. We would say a be with environment has four components. And so you have this in your, in your uh, booklet there. These four components, if you look at them, you see them all listed there, the content, contact, context, and correction. You see what we talked about yesterday as far as the target, what we call the M7 disciple. And all these things happen within the, the, the training, the development happens uh, in, in, these, in these environments. So what we want to do is just kind of talk about each one of these things and uh, dive in on them a little bit. So let's talk about content first of all. So content comes from Mark 1.22. And, um, you know, Here's the, the bottom line is Jesus used content, right? He used content. And Mark 1.22, it says this. They were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, if you know, this is the Mark account of that verse, but it's also in Matthew. And if you know when this verse was put in, uh, it follows what in Matthew? Does anybody know? Sermon on the Mount, exactly. And so Jesus used content, right? I mean, he taught and he equipped his disciples with information. And so when we talk about, when we talk about content, content really is information. It's the things that we hear. And, and, and interesting enough to, to take note of is that, you know, Jesus, Jesus didn't teach the disciples, those twelve, everything that they could possibly know, did he? Yeah, that's right. He didn't. But he did teach them, he did equip them for what they needed to know when he was going to be leaving and put the ball in their hands so they can take it and run with it, right? And so it's a very interesting point. He equipped them. And, and honestly, isn't that what equipping is all about? That, that for, when we think about making disciples, that is what we've got to focus on, is what is it that they need to know? Now, it's true. Every school has a curriculum, right? Yeah. Yep. Yes. You got books, you got, you know, assignments, you've got information that's coming your way. Every school has a curriculum. Same with Jesus. In Jesus' school of discipleship, there's curriculum. Now, in actual in the actual classroom of Christ, he was the curriculum, okay? All right, so like he didn't have his disciples filling in blanks and going through workbooks and all that kind of thing. Um, but he himself was the curriculum. But for you and me, I mean, we live in a day and time where, man, opportunities and resources uh, are, are readily available. And, and, they're, and, and, and a lot of them are really, really good because they're built, based, written, put together all on the, the example of Jesus, the, the life and ministry and, and methods of Christ, right? And so uh, we can use those things. And so we have that. I wanted to share some of that with you. Um, we have uh, what we call uh, disciple-making essentials. Now, now, I've said this earlier on. That our pastor, he has been beating the disciple-making drum as long as I've known him. And, and he's a, a writer, and, and we have all kinds of resources that he's put together for, for really for our small groups to use to make disciples with. And uh, this is really kind of the, some of the latest uh, stuff that we put together, or he's put together. Um, and we call it uh, Disciple Making Essentials. This is basically like a little sample pack. And so this is kind of the, some of the stuff that we use. And, uh, and, and it's, it, I love these things because they, they have everything a, a group would need. Uh, to go through. So let me give you some ideas. Uh, first of all, we, we have a book on, called Small Group Essentials. Just simple four weeks on laying the tracks down for what kind of group you really need to be and what small group is all about. It drives our philosophy. Pa here, Pastor Ken say a while ago that we are mission-driven groups, not agenda-driven. Well, this book lays the tracks down for that. And, uh, and then you got Faith Essentials. Uh, everybody needs to know what they believe, right? 
There's not one disciple that needs that does it not need to know why they believe in the virgin birth. Wouldn't you agree? Okay, so I mean those are key things, right? Faith essentials. This is what it's about. Why do we believe the Bible? Why do we believe about God? What do we believe about man and salvation and these kind of things? Um, spiritual growth essentials. So this is for, for those who are just getting going. Uh, this is all about um, spiritual disciplines. You know, how to pray. I mean, are you sure you're saved? Baptism. How to have a quiet time. What does it look like? You know, that kind of thing. And, and so that's, that's what that's about. We have Bible essentials. This is just Bible survey. The very first time I ever got Bible survey was when I went to Bible college. Now you think about that. Um, you, you're sitting in a small group environment, and and you're leading disciples to grow, and they're understand when they get done with it, they're understanding how the Bible's put together. That's a value, a huge value, uh, you know, because we heard even last night, uh, Jim Putman was saying how biblically illiterate people are today. Uh, so it's very true. Um, church essentials, uh, another one. What's the church? What is it all about? Uh, life essentials, why are you here? What's your purpose? Um, discipleship essentials, this right here walks you through every single one of those M's and uh, helps explain, you know, the things that need to be taking place in your life. Ministry essentials. Don't you know that you're, you're gifted, you're wired for a particular aspect of ministry and that God wants to use you to build His kingdom? That's what this is about. And so these are just what we call Bible-making essentials. This is the, the curriculum that we use. Now, I love these because um, here, here's what they have. When, and this is not, okay, this is not a shameless plug or commercial for uh, our products, okay? This is just an, an idea for you to understand content. Um, but, but I love these because, you know, here's what they have. Uh, they have a lesson, and the lessons are, are very simplistic and, and brief, and, but they're very thorough. And then, and then you have daily readings in the sidebar. Uh, passages that kind of go along to reinforce the lesson and so forth. And so when I, 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 I'm taking one of my groups through uh, Faith Essentials right now and and, uh, and, and, you know, one of the things I love to do is I love to get together. Like, uh, we meet on Thursday mornings with this men group, uh, this men's group, and, and, and I'll tell them, I said, I'll, I'll say, don't read Thursday's reading. Okay, we're going to read it as a group when we come together. Uh, because it's got a little Acts acrostic, uh, attitude to change, command to obey, truth to believe, sin to confess. And so the idea is you read the passage, you're like, okay, what jumped out to you? Was there an attitude to change? Was there a command to believe? Was there a, uh, a command to obey, a truth to believe? Was there sin to confess? And you just really get to dive right into scriptures right there, right? And so we really spend a lot of time diving or working through those, uh, those passages and what God's saying to them. That's a very valuable thing. And then at the end of each chapter, it's, it's got a discussion guide. I mean, it's just very easy to use. It's simplistic. The people love it. And, uh, and, and so every, every school has a curriculum. And, and so it's all you know, related to content. But we have to be intentional with this content. You know why? Check this out. Do you know that the average person watches five hours of television a day? A day. The average person invests three and a half hours on their phone or their device a day. Now, if that's one and the same person, that's almost eight hours, okay? If it's two separate people, which let's, let's land there because that's where kind of hope is, right? <laughs> right? If it's two separate people, then, uh, then even still, think about it. What if they come to church every single week? And let's, let's not even take the whole service because, I don't know about y'all, but we have people that are on crossroads time and they usually miss the first couple of songs, right? And, uh, and so let's just take the sermon, the message, and uh, let's say it's 30 to 45 minutes, right? Teaching time. And then let's say they are in a small group that's disciple making and that they're getting content and they're reading every week. I mean, what is that? Let's just say an hour, okay? Maybe 90 minutes. All right, put that together. So maybe two hours, maybe two and, a, two and a half hours compared to, if it's one and the same, compared to eight hour, almost eight hours versus, or the other, five hours. You see what I'm saying? We've got to be intentional with our, our content because of what we're up against. If they're in, and, and this is assuming that people are there every weekend and they're in their disciple-making small group every week, right? <laughs> Does anybody have that as their current reality? <laughs> Yeah, probably not. And so that's what we're up against, guys. And we think about that. I mean, which way does the scale tip? 
And why do we have biblically illiterate Christians in our church? Why is it that we have the most uh, knowledge available to all of mankind in most any kind of format that you could imagine, yet still people don't know the things that they need to know? Not everything they could know, but the things that they need to know, right? So content, very important. Let's talk about contact. Contact um, is, uh, is really speaking to some of the other time that Jesus spent with his disciples. So not all the time Jesus spent with his disciples was teaching time. In fact, um, I, I found this image, I, it, you know, it came through my email. I thought it was really good. I'll share it with you. Not all the time that Jesus had with his disciples was teaching time. This is a great little image, I think, because if you can't see it, I'll just describe it to you. Jesus here, he's got the 12. They're all dressed like you know, biblical characters. They're all sitting in school desks. And he's up here, and he's got a little easel, and he's teaching them, you know. And, uh, and, and you know, it, it, and the ad says, Jesus didn't make disciples this way. Why do we? And, uh, and it's, of course, it's an ad for curriculum, of course. But um, I just thought it was good because what, what it reveals is that it's not just content. Mm -hmm. It's not just a content download. It also involves contact. So much, if not most, of Jesus' time with his disciples was relational time. So much was recorded in the Gospels about the life of Christ and his relationship and his relational time with the disciples that actually gets overlooked. And it's actually in the details oftentimes that we overlook these things. So... How many of you have red-letter editions of the Bible that you, you use, okay? So if you use a red-letter edition of the Bible, a lot of times we're reading through the Gospels. What are we focusing on? The red, the red letters, right? What did Jesus say? Content. What did Jesus say? <laughs> but what Jesus did in terms of this relational time is often found in the black letters, okay? And so that's a key thing to, uh, to, to understand and to see. And so with that goes the Mark 6.1 uh, reference, which says this. Real simple. He went away from there, came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. That's it. So basically they were on a trip. And guess what? They didn't take a bus. They didn't take a plane. Uh, I don't even think they had a car, right? <laughs> How'd they get there? They, they walked. How long do you think it took them? Well, it depends where they were going, right? We look at the passage and see where he was, and one side of the lake, back and forth to the other side of the lake. And I mean, in other words, they were spending some time together. When was the last time that you went on a trip with somebody and you didn't talk to them <laughs> the whole way? Right? Okay? Somebody once said, this is incidental, but somebody once said one time that if you really want to know if you got some chemistry with somebody, uh, you, you get into a Volkswagen bug and you drive halfway across the country with them in the car. And then you'll know. <laughs> so, but with, think about going on a trip. I mean, you, you, you're spending time with each other. You're talking. You're you know, probably goofing off, having fun. Maybe just that's the time that is all about what contact is all about. So if content is about information and about what we hear, then contact is about relationships and what we see and feel. Right? So, small group is the, in, uh, the ideal environment to grow in relationships. And we talk about things like doing life together, but it really is where you get to share with others, you know, what God's doing in your life, right? It's where you get to share how you're growing in Christ's character, how you're growing in Christ's conduct. It's where you can be, you know, held, account held accountable. It's where you can be encouraged, you know. It's where you can be challenged if necessary, right? And so, you know, here's how that looks in my group. So uh, one of the things that my wife and I like to do, and, and we, we lead a, a, a couple's small group together, and I lead a men's group, small group, uh, on another day of the week. And uh, one of the things that we like to do uh, as couples is we like to take other couples with us to lunch on Sundays after church. I mean, it's, I mean we got to go eat somewhere, and so let's go do it together. You know, and so we hang out, we get to know each other outside of what I would say the four walls, so to speak, of the group setting, you know. And, uh, and so that's one way to do that and just hanging out. There's a couple of guys in my small group that, that we've gotten together and worked on some projects together and uh, just end up hanging out and spending most of the day together. And so that is what that's about. It's about relational time. Because here's the truth. No one grows in a vacuum. And, and we learn and we grow from each other by being close to each other, don't we? When, we, when we're close to each other, um, we rub off on each other, right? 
And hopefully that rubbing off is a good rubbing off and not a, not, a, not a bad rubbing off, you know? The whole peer influence, the whole uh, birds of a feather, I mean, all those kind of things, right? Um, so the closer you are, the more likely you're going to rub off on one another. For example, how many of you have known people in your life, maybe you know somebody now, maybe it's an older couple, they've been married, say, 40, 50 years, maybe 60 years, and they actually finish each other's sentences, right? It's almost like they can, um, you know, say what each other's even thinking, right? So much to the degree that they actually almost begin to what? Look like each other, right? Okay? So some people have that same thing going on with their pets, okay? They hang out with their pets and spend so much time with them that oftentimes, it was really bad, they start looking like their dog, all right? Check that out right there. Is that not amazing or what? Alright, we'll move on, okay? So honestly though, I mean, and there's some people in my group, I'm just going to be honest with you, there's some people in my group, I, I don't want to look like them. <laughs> so that's just the truth. But here's the deal, growing in character and conduct of Christ does not happen without other people. It does not. I loved what uh, Jim Putman said last night about how uh, Satan looks for isolation. To do his work and that's a key thing and so so think about it so you know we're supposed to grow in the character of Christ what's the character of Christ we talked about it yesterday let's just take the fruit of the Spirit what's the fruit of the Spirit love joy peace patience right so so think about those things so if you need to grow in love how does God teach you love through others he doesn't give you a bunch of people around you that are easy to love does he he puts unlovables in your path doesn't he right so, if he wants to teach you joy, what, what does he give you? He gives you a bunch of negative Neds and a bunch of negative Nancys, doesn't he? Right? Okay? So, if he wants to teach you some peace, what does he do? He's going to put you around people that are chaotic and almost like ADHD type people, right? And you're going to be like losing your mind. You know? If he wants to teach you patience, what does he give you? A spouse, okay? <laughs> so, the truth of the matter is, we don't grow in a vacuum. We don't grow without other people rubbing against us. Amen? So true. Yeah, so contact. So let's talk about context. So context, man, this is a good one. I'm going to give you a couple verses on this. We're going to look at Mark 2.15 in just a second. I'm going to give you another one. Mark 1.29 is another one. I'll just read it to you write it down. It says this, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So if you're reading this context, what we would find is that, that Jesus is going. This is the story where he goes and he heals Peter and Andrew's mom. She was sick. And if you remember the story by chance, uh, it's the story where he healed her. And then it says that she got up and went and served them. Right? And so I'm just thinking, okay, Jesus going in there. And he could have gone by himself. Right? He could have went by himself. Could have went with the two, two sons. But he also took James and John. Right, that's interesting, because here's what Jesus did. He pulled from the crowd his 12, and then out of the 12, he pulled his three, the ones he really wanted to focus on to develop his leaders. And who were those three? Peter, James, and John. They're right here. He's given, he gave those guys ministry opportunities or different learnings, different teachings that he didn't give the rest, because he knew. I mean, who do you find in the early chapters of Acts? Peter. James. Yeah, exactly. And so, very very important. Let's go to Mark 2.15. Mark 2.15 says this. Uh, in fact, I want to read this one from the text because I want to get a little context here. Mark 2.15 says, And as he reclined with them at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. All right, now this is in the context of when he calls Levi, or Matthew. And it says that he then goes uh, uh, to, um, to Matthew's house. And this is where verse 15 comes in. He was reclining at the table in Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating. Jesus and his disciples. There were many who were following him. It goes on and it says, When the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, It's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but what? Sinners. 
Okay, so this is a very, very interesting text, and, and it teaches us a lot about some of the methodology of Jesus. So, so this context, right? What was Jesus doing? He was hanging out with the disciples, also Matthew and his friends, right? And these friends were real strong Christians, faithful to the church, right? No. They're sinners, right? They're tax collectors. They were looked down upon in society, right? And so what was Jesus doing? He, he goes there. Why would he hang? What's he doing? Showing a model. He is. He is giving them context, okay? He is doing ministry, and he's taking them with him. This environment is ministry training. The environment, really, of a small group even is the best environment for ministry training. Jesus trained his disciples, not just in a classroom, in rows, doing a lecture like we're doing today. I mean, Jesus trained them by taking them with him. And, and he took them into different environments to let them experience different things. He was training them to do what he did. And, every, and what he did is everything that y'all were saying that was going on here in this text. So one of the things that he was training them in is evangelism, right? He was showing them how to do relational evangelism. You don't do relational evangelism by being insulated from the world. That's right. Okay? You do relational evangelism by getting up close next to people. Okay? You know, and it's important because Jesus was there as the influencer, not the influencee. Like some people, sometimes we always want to knee-jerk react and say, no, 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 we can't hang out with these people because they're, they're going to cause it. And we already said it, Mike. I mean, you know, you hang around with people, things rub off on you. Yeah, they do. But Jesus was there as the influencer, not the influencee, right? And so we got to realize that this is the mission. And it's evangelism train, training. And, and he was training them how to be the friend of sinners. And we were just talking about this the other day in our, in our staff meeting. And uh, Pastor Ken brought it out. I thought it was great. In fact, I, I told him, I said, I've never seen that before. Um, there's another thing that Jesus taught the, the disciples here in this passage. So the, the religious types, the church folks, came up and said, what? And who did they talk to? Did they ask Jesus? Who did they ask? They asked the disciples. Okay. And what they asked, why does your teacher, why does your master hang out with these type of people, right? So what did the disciples say? Same thing you just did, okay? They didn't say anything. <laughs> Jesus heard them, it says, and then what did Jesus say? He told them. He said, it's just not the sick. I mean, it's not the well who need the doctor. It's the sick. I'm here to, to, for them. And so the point, and so I, what, here's the lesson. The lesson he's teaching them is how to handle criticism. Isn't that good? I'd never seen that before. I thought it was really good. So he's in a ministry context and, uh, and, and being criticized by the church guys. And, uh, and he's teaching them how to handle that. And he displayed his godly character to them. Like he could have went off on those guys, but he didn't. He just taught them a lesson at the same time modeling for his disciples the way that they should be teaching those kinds of lessons. So, obviously, brilliant methods and, uh, and incredible opportunities for Jesus to teach in the context. So, so, we think about this, you know, when we're discipling people. I mean, how do you learn to fish for men? <laughs> Basically, it's the same way you learn how to fish for fish. <laughs> you got to go fishing. Okay, you have to go fishing, and so where content is, where content is about information, it's about what we hear, and contact is about relationships, what we see and feel. Context is about application and about what we do. So, I appreciate the question. We're going to do some Q and A at the end. Here's my promise to you: I'll answer your question first. All right, so let's do that. So let me get through the, these other two, and then we'll, we'll come right back to that. So context is about application. So here's the deal. Wouldn't you agree with me that we as a church are way too heavy on information and way too light on application? Because yes. yes. we all would agree, maybe we've even all said this before, that we all are probably way too educated. We're, we're, we're educated way beyond our obedience, right? Every single one of us. So application is the reason... Application is the reason for information. That is the deal. It is the reason. Here's, a, and here's another thing. Jesus just didn't sit around and do Bible studies all the time. 
He just wasn't always sitting around doing the latest, greatest study from Lifeway. Okay? Is it okay for me to say that? Yes. yes. <laughs> that's not a slam. I'm just saying that right. what we want to do is just say, hey, what's the latest and greatest thing that's out there? That's right. Okay? What's the, the most current thing? No. He, 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 um, uh, he just didn't sit around and do that. What he did is he took them out and he taught them how to apply what they had been learning. He gave them actual ministry experiences. Okay, here's another example. If you're going to learn how to water ski, how do you do that? Watching YouTube? I mean, you might could, right? Like, you might could watch YouTube and learn some things. But eventually, what do you got to do? You got to get in the water. You got to keep the seas above the water. Put the rope in between. Learn how to lean back. You got to do all. I mean, you're not going to learn it if you don't do it, right? And so, some things you just have to learn by doing, okay? So, uh, here's a story for that. Uh, in my experience, uh, very first time I ever learned how to share my faith, I was a teenager and I went to our church's Tuesday night visitation. That's what we had. Anybody ever have something like that in your past? Okay, so we went, uh, we, students were going out, and so we showed up, we, we paired up with some older, more experienced guys, and, uh, and we went out. And so I was paired up with this guy named Kevin, and, uh, and so we, go, we had two visits to make. And so we get there, and uh, we're talking on the way, and he's asking me all these questions about whether I've shared my faith before and all these types of things. Never have. And, um, and so he knocks on the door, and so basically he models for me in the most perfect way how to do it. And, I, I, and the person just bowed their head right there on their doorstep, gave their heart and life to Jesus. It was amazing, right? We leave. We're on our way to our next visit. We're talking about the next visit. He's debriefing me in the cars we're going, you know. Remember, I'm like a 15-year-old kid. And uh, we get to the next house, and, uh, and he says, uh, he says, um, oh, by the way, this one's yours. And he knocked on the door. <laughs> like, and it was like, honestly, just being, okay, sink or swim, man, you know. And, and honestly, I mean, I don't remember what happened. I don't think it went very well. But, um, but that's the, isn't that the deal? We got to do it. We just got to get out there and do it. So here are some ways that that happens. Like, for example, uh, I'll talk about my group. Um, recently, our church did this serve day. And so I took my group. I really wanted my group to participate. Because we just started getting a little too comfy in the so-called four walls of our circle, right? And I was like, you know what? We are going to participate in this. And so we, I contacted one of the widows in our church, and a young, young widow, actually, and uh, just reached out to her and said, hey, is there something we can do for you? We went over there and cleaned her house up, cleaned, we pressure washed, we cut grass, we trimmed hedges, we cleaned gutters. I mean, we just did all kind of stuff. You know, and I think it blessed her incredibly, but I think it blessed my group even more. All right? And not only that, I mean, like this next week, uh, Wednesday night is Halloween night. Our church is doing what we call fall rushes, which is basically a version of fall festivals. So instead of uh, we say, y'all come to us in our campus, you know what we're doing? We're doing fall, mini fall festivals in people's front yards in, neighbor, in the neighborhood. And so, like, my small group has, uh, you know, adopted a certain neighborhood, and uh, we're going to go there. We're going to put a jump house up. We're going to cook hot dogs, marshmallows, hot chocolate. Uh, we're going to give out. We got this huge galvanized, but things going to be full of candy, man. We're going to be getting, and, and what's the whole point? The whole point is we're going we're gonna to get those kids to stop long enough, the parents to stop long enough, to eat a hot dog, let the kids jump, roast a marshmallow, whatever, long enough so we can just have one relational contact where we can say, come and see. So it's a reach out event, but it's also a way for our group to get outside and do ministry context. You see that? And so it's all about context. So context. Let's talk about the last one, and that's correction. Correction is Mark 9, 33 to 35. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what, you were, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. <laughs> he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. All right, so we know the story, right? So, correction. It's needed when you make disciples. And we have to be careful that we uh, uh, don't point the finger at these 12, all right? Because we're not a lot different yes. from these 12. Um, you know, we can't really say, oh, I don't think I would have said that, you know? Um, but we're all a little bit too guilty of being a little too self-focused, aren't we? Case in point, 
You take a big group picture, family picture, you look at the picture, who's the first person you're looking for? Me. <laughs> and it's a good picture if what? You look good. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a horrible picture if you don't look so good, right? I mean, that's just one simple way to do that, but here's the deal. We'll talk about correction. I mean, nobody likes getting called out about something we do, do we? Nobody. But it's often necessary for our growth. In fact, being called out should lead to us growing up. Very simple. Without correction, we will not grow. We must be confronted with truth in those teachable moments. Isn't that what 2 Timothy 3.16, 17 says? 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed or inspired, right? And it's profitable for four things. Rebuke. What's the second one? Correction, Correction right? Correction. And uh, ultimately, verse 17 tells us that it is so that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So we don't like to be corrected uh, and oftentimes we don't even like to be the one that's actually doing the correcting, right? Uh, but we have to do that if we're going to make disciples. Another story, another example. So I had a guy in my uh, men's group who uh, we started talking one morning, catching up a little bit, and he was saying things like how they hadn't actually been to church in a while. And, uh, you know, we were talking about, hey, we hadn't seen you where you're at. And he said, yeah, well, you know, uh, we, we do our services on Facebook Live. And, and he said, I mean, we just kind of stay home and watch it on Facebook Live. Mm -hmm. This guy was not only in my small group, he was also in my leadership group. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I said, man, you can't do that. I mean, I got him later. I didn't do it right there in front of everybody. I felt like it, I'd be honest with you. But... Um, I said, man, you can't do that. You know, don't you remember what Hebrews 10.25 says? To not forsake the assembling of yourselves together with the body. you got to be there, man. And uh, I understand if you get sick or something like that's going on, but you got to come. And, uh, and so, you know, that's just the way that that may look. And so we got to realize that, hey, disciple-making is messy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I heard somebody once say one time that catching fish is fun, but cleaning them stinks. Yeah. And so when we're fishing for men and we're making disciples, it cannot be done without getting a little stink on you. And that's the truth. Correction is about transformation. It's about being changed. It's about becoming something. Specifically, a fully trained disciple is what we're trying to train up and develop. And so for that, we need these three things. We need the Spirit of God, we need the Word of God, and we need the people of God. So let's finish up with where we started. We started in Mark 3.14. And in Mark 3.14... It said, and he appointed twelve, whom he named apostles, so that it might be with him, they might send them out to preach. So that was, the, that was kind of like the beginning, right? I mean, he set them up as apostles, right? And then later on, in Acts 4.13, this is what we read. Now, when, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and recognized that they had what? Been what? Been with. Been with. So another with him type thing. Jesus used a be with environment to transform the men who would be used by God to do what? Change the world. Literally. So, we just need to do the same thing. Content, contact, context, and correction. All right? Okay. Very good. So, questions. So, your question was earlier, uh, do we, all our small groups, do those four things? Did I understand that question correctly? So, they, well, when talking about going through the essentials, if we call it an essentials group, they're going through this, this material, which <laughs> should take, say, 12 to 18 months, depending on how diligent you are. Uh, you can uh, finish that group up and, and be on your way and start a new group. And uh, those individuals in your group can go start a new group. Um, as far as all of our groups, we have almost like we have 100, uh, about 137 groups. Um, so are they all doing this? Probably not. But it is the mantra that we hold up. And we tell them all the time. This is what we're all about. We want to be soft making small groups. These are the things we want you to do. These are the things we want you to be about. And we just push and push and push that, you know, and encourage that and encourage that as best we can. Our coaching structure helps drive it as well. So our intention is that all of our groups are driving content, contact, correction, and context, all four. So, um, but yeah, we have a, a multiplication model that we want them to multiply when they're done. And some can stay, but we want to launch some as well. Does that answer your question? Good. All right. Any other questions? So the way it would work, making disciples, you assemble your group. 
you say we're going to go through this essentials material and um, of course you're going to use not just content, you're going to use the other three, right? And you're going to drive that for that entire time that you're working with them. And here's what we tell our groups, we say, or our leaders, we say grow groups, grow people, grow leaders. So you can do what? Grow more groups. And so as you grow the group, you assemble a group of say 8 to 10, 10 to 12 people. Now you want to see those people take steps to become the M7 disciple. In that process, there's going to be some, just like it would be true in this room, there's going to be some that are going to rise to the surface, right? They're going to become your potential leaders. And so you're going to discover that as you go. Who are those? And that's really kind of getting into what Ken's going to talk about in the next breakout in terms of what we uh, take our people through. We would say, okay, so if I got a group, four or five guys, and say two of them are potential leaders, and I start discovering that about halfway through that process, realizing kind of where they are spiritually, then I might want to invite them to go do some leadership training with me, and we're going to meet separate from that time. And uh, this is just a nine-session could take nine months. Some guys do it nine weeks. But anyway, Ken will talk more about that in the next session of the leadership development part. So it's in that process, and you're still working the whole essentials process, 12, 18 months, whatever it takes. And then uh, when you're done, you launch out. So the question is, do we, what do we you know, to explain more about our coaching structure? Uh, we, we developed a coaching structure a couple years back where um, you know, we realized that if, if our small group leaders are we're going to get the outcomes that, that we're trying to, to lead and influence our, our leaders to give, then, then we're going to need coaches. And so we invited uh, many people to be coaches. And what we do and how we flesh that out in our, our environment is we have a once a month leadership community. And part of that leadership community night is for them to sit in their coaching groups. And, and we basically ask them very simple questions like, it's a monitoring of health, health of the leader. And because our, our belief is that healthy leaders lead healthy groups. And so, you know, we want to make sure that, okay, how are you doing? You know, how's your walk? You know, how are, how's, there, how's everything in your life? How are your gauges, you know, so to speak? And then tell us how, how your group is going. So if it's either a group or a team, say ministry leaders, ministry team leaders, so it's like, how's your group doing? How's your team doing? You know, tell us what's going on there. Uh, who do you see rising to the surface? Who's new? How are people taking steps? You know, it's just evaluative and encouraging. And, you know, when you're in a group of four or five other leaders, being coached, then you know you learn from each other. It's a great learning environment, encouraging environment. So that's kind of what it looks like. It's a monthly. It is monthly. First, usually the first Monday of every month. I saw a hand back here. Yeah. It. Um, so we could definitely hook you up with uh, our, our our you know generation guys, our high school guys and middle school guys, and let you learn a little bit from them directly. Okay. Uh, we can give you their information. But basically, I mean, we we have a, a large group, small group philosophy that exists in every single area of our our church and. Uh, specifically, our high school pastor has just recently shifted uh, where they had some middle-sized groups to where now he's driving small groups in, a, in kind of a big way, and uh, it, uh, it's taken off uh, in a huge way. So um, they're, they're doing a lot of the same things and uh, just applying it, obviously, to, to that age category. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So I saw a hand back here. So the questions about our, our size of groups and congregation, um, we uh, we are a multi-site. We have three locations, and um, one is uh, our main campus, and the other two we 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 kind of do a video type uh, site, and um, uh, all together we're we're right around that two thousand threshold um, in terms of attendance. So it ranges anywhere, you know how it is, it ranges anywhere from probably 1,700 to 2,000 on an average weekly attendance. If you measured the number of individual units probably over, say, a six to eight week period of time, it's going to be a lot larger number. But if you just took average weekly attendance, it's in that range. So what we say, we clarify the win for the small group leader, and we say, here's how you know you won when you grow a group. You've got a consistent average of eight to ten. So obviously that means you got to have a little bit more um, to have that consistent average. So uh, honestly, we, we're all over the place with that. We have um, groups that are four and five in size, and we've got groups that are 24 and five in size. So more like a medium-sized group there. So the question is, how does Sunday and Wednesday activities uh, contribute to our model? I, I, you know, we kind of work within the, the, the it's, it's all about rhythm of life, right? It's how, how do people live in their rhythms? And so we have Sunday morning uh, groups. 
Uh, we have Sunday groups and Sunday night groups. Um, we have on-campus groups, off-campus groups. Uh, our largest portion of on-campus groups meet on Wednesday nights at both two of our campuses. And so we provide childcare for those groups. It's a great place for a group to meet up and you know, childcare is taking care of them. So a lot of younger families, younger adults do those groups. Um, so uh, it works really well for us. So the question is on context, how do our small groups do evangelism? Uh, well, we, um, we have a strategy at our church where we try to encourage personal evangelism, local or corporate evangelism, and then global. And so, lo you know, the personal obviously is just the one-on-ones. And, and so what we try to do, I think an easy way to go about it, as far as a small group leader goes, trying to encourage that in his group or her group, would be to first and foremost start by involving the group in some of the church outreach efforts. You know, and as that as a group, you say our group is going to own this, and we're going to make this happen. You know, uh, so that's one way to do that. Um, I think another thing to do is, I mean, there are many small groups that just go out and do service projects as a group, and uh, that the options are wide open there. You can do some sort of servant evangelism type stuff, passing out water bottles or cokes, or visiting you know hospitals or nursing homes or or. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, you can go to servantevangelism.com and figure that out. But um, there's, those are some ways that we could do that. And, of course, obviously, uh, I would also say for the global part of it is to, as a small group leader, to encourage the people in the group to go on a mission trip. To go on a mission trip. Because uh, I don't know if you all have experienced this or not, but every time I've gone on a mission trip, my spiritual life has gone to a whole other level. And so I just encourage, I always try to encourage that. So... I mean, we try to do a lot. Uh, the question is, how intentional are we getting people in groups, and how do we do that? Uh, there's really a whole process to that. Probably a, a longer explanation that what we might have time for right now. I'd be glad to talk with you afterwards if you'd like. Um, we, we try to do a lot of different things. Um, we just implemented a whole new structure uh, that it offers us uh, pretty much almost a monthly what we call connections, next step of connections, which is really all about getting them into a small group. So it's almost every month we, we have an opportunity to plug people into groups and start in our groups. So that's just one way. We really have a lot of different ways to do that. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. Have you signed up for the next National Disciple Making Forum? Every year, disciple makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at discipleship.org. At checkout, use promo code PODCAST to get 20% off your tickets. In addition to this podcast, you'll find many other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.